0: Welcome back my fellow creatives, it is summer break here in the United States, so I don't know how long my children are going to let me record today. (sighs) But anyway, I did find uh, something that looked promising uh, from my library, uh, that I'd like to see if in five pages it can tell me it's good, since that's our podcast you've got five pages to tell me it's good. Uh, I like focusing on first chapters because so often as writers, we're told that you have to be able to hook readers in those first pages. You have to be able to hook an agent in those first pages or, you know, whomever else, because if you can't hook them in those first pages, why should they keep going? That's a valid question. So that's why I like focusing on first chapters, opening pages and such now this one's been around for a little bit but i think this my library just got it and um i think it's just because it's the paperback edition but the book is verity by colleen hoover i chose this because the only other real new release they had (laughs) this week was book six of a western series And I know I'm going to have to try Western at some point, because one of those librarians just loves their Westerns. Uh, But I'm not going to try and do book six of whatever series is going on. So here we are with Verity by Colleen Hoover. Uh, Apparently, it's uh, sublimely creepy, according to a reviewer for The New York Times, because that's what it says on the cover. So, uh, Okay. The cover does not really say much. It's got one of those mathematical uh, screensaver kind of lines covering up a person. So you see legs and then all these lines everywhere. So it it looks like a globule sort of dress, I guess. I don't know. It should be promising, I hope, assuming my kids will let me actually read it. Let's find out, shall we? Uh... All right. Wait a second. No, just pause. I'm not going to get to the first paragraph yet. Because look, I'm looking at this dedication page and I'm looking at the bit I just said that the sublimely creepy, the blurb sublimely, sublimely creepy with a true Hoover pulse. Uh, this blurb comes from Taryn Fisher of the New York times. Or a new York, another New York Times bestselling author. I don't know. My library's code covers that part. But then I look inside on the dedication page. This book is dedicated to the only person this book could possibly be dedicated to. Taryn Fisher. Thank you for accepting the darkness in people as much as you accept their light. So the blurb on the cover meant to use to sell the book is this person is dedicated to the person who did that blurb. I I mean, I get if Colleen knows this Taryn Fisher really well and that's fine, but then it just feels a little phony that Taryn Fisher's blurb then is used to sell the book because then it's like, well, that's not bias at all then is it? Insert lots of sarcasm here. Okay. Well, let's still take a look. I'm still going to give this a shot. Um, because this first sentence is quite full here we go i hear the crack of his skull before the spattering of blood reaches me that's the first sentence well it's quite violent uh very visual and it's full of action so i should like it but I'm tainted by this fact where it's the authors are buddying up to give each other kudos and and blurb on each other's covers so they can get sold. I don't like that. All right, separate myself. Okay, here we go. I'm going to read the first sentence again and continue on this time. I hear the crack of his skull before the spattering of blood reaches me. I gasp and take a quick step back onto the sidewalk. One of my heels doesn't clear the curb, so I grip the pole of a no-parking sign to steady myself. The man was in front of me a matter of seconds ago. We were standing in a crowd of people waiting for the crosswalk light to illuminate when he stepped into the street prematurely, resulting in a run-in with a truck. I lunged forward in an attempt to stop him, grasping at nothing as he went down. I closed my eyes before his head went under the tire, but I heard it pop like the cork of a champagne bottle. He was in the wrong, looking casually down at his phone, probably a side effect of crossing the same street without incident many times before. Death by routine. People gasp, but no one screams. The passenger of the offending vehicle jumps out of the truck and is immediately on his knees near the man's body. I back away from the scene as several people rush forward to help. I don't have to look at the man under the tire to know he didn't survive that. I only have to look down at my once white shirt, at the blood now splattered across it, to know that a hearse would serve him better than an ambulance. So, we're in these opening moments. On the one hand, we have this you know, as she put it, death by routine. So the fact that death occurs is nothing new to these people. So there, but there is still a response. There is this instinctive human response at death. But it is not so horrifying anymore that anyone screams, even though a tire literally exploded a skull. So there's. Definitely some heavy commentary in the state of humanity in this book. Our protagonist attempted to save the person, which says there is a little bit of humanity left in this individual, but we don't know anything else about this individual right now, apart from the fact that um, I'm going to assume female by the note of heels. But I could be wrong. Um, we'll f- let's f- keep reading to find, out what else, uh, to find out what else we can learn. I spin around to move away from the accident, to find a place to take a breath. But the crosswalk sign now says walk, and the thick crowd takes heed, making it impossible for me to swim upstream in this Manhattan River. Some don't even look up from their cell phones as they pass right by the accident. I stop trying to move and wait for the crowd to thin. I glance back toward the accident, careful not to look directly at the man. The driver of the truck is now at the rear of the vehicle, wide-eyed on a cell phone. Three, maybe four people are assisting him. A few are led by their morbid curiosities, filming the gruesome scene with their phones. So just another pause here. That's quite the commentary on humanity at this point, whether it's filming death or just walking right past it. Plus the protagonist themselves keep referring to it as an accident. Not a death. Because it is a death. No, it's just an accident. That makes it less severe, doesn't it? That word choice. Which is an interesting choice on Hoover's part. I think that says a little something about this character and how they don't want to really consider the full weight of what occurred. It's an accident. Back to it. If I were still living in Virginia, this would play out in a completely different manner. Everyone around would stop. Panic would ensue, people would be screaming, a news crew would be on scene in a matter of minutes. But here in Manhattan, a pedestrian struck by a vehicle happens so often, it's not much more than an inconvenience. A delay in traffic for some, a ruined wardrobe for others. This probably happens so often, it won't even end up in print. As much as the indifference in some of the people here disturbs me, it's exactly why I moved to the city ten years ago. People like me belong in overpopulated cities. The state of my life is irrelevant in a place this size. There are far more people here with stories much more pitiful than mine. Here, I'm invisible. Unimportant. Manhattan is too crowded to give a shit about me, and I love her for it. pause again. This is giving me, oh, who did the midnight meat train? That wasn't Dean Koontz. Oh, I feel so silly. I forget because I just read it. Horror author who wrote, who wrote Hellraiser. And someone's going to chastise me for not remembering this person, this author's name. I'm actually going to try and look it up while I chat because I just, I feel like this bit here, this yearning to be to vanish into the ether, or just this yearning to be in a specific city, Clive Barker, that's the author. Sorry, Clive Barker wrote a story. It reminds me of this. Colleen Hoover's protagonist is reminding me of the protagonist in Clive Barker's um, midnight meat train where it's just this yearning to be in a s- certain place because there is this sense of belonging and yet apartness and yet this character yeah it just it's an interesting mix inside that character it's like almost wanting to disconnect from humanity and yet you're in a place where humanity seems to reject itself I'm being very ponderous right now, but I think it's just because I'm tired of hearing all the fart jokes from breakfast this morning. Which maybe I should not be tired of, but I am today. All right, back to it. Are you hurt? I look up at a man as he touches my arm and scans my shirt. Scans. I said scam, I'm sorry, and scans my shirt. Deep concern is embedded in his expression as he looks me up and down, assessing me for injuries. I can tell by his reaction that he isn't one of the more hardened New Yorkers. He might live here now, but wherever he's from, it's a place that didn't completely beat the empathy out of him. Are you hurt? The stranger repeats, looking me in the eye this time. No, it's not my blood. I was just standing near him when... I stopped speaking. I just saw a man die. I was so close to him, his blood is on me. I moved to the city to be invisible, but I am certainly not impenetrable. It's something I've been working on, attempting to become as hardened as the concrete beneath my feet. It hasn't been working out so well. I can feel everything I just witnessed settling in my stomach. I cover my mouth with my hand, but pull it away quickly when I feel something sticky on my lips. More blood. I look down on my shirt. So much blood, none of it mine. I pinch at my shirt and pull it away from my chest, but it sticks to my skin in spots where the blood splatters are beginning to dry. I think I need water. I'm starting to feel lightheaded and I want to rub my forehead, pinch my nose, but I'm scared to touch myself. I look up at the man still gripping my arm. Is it on my face? I ask him. Is it? Is it I, I gotta pause again. It's I think something else that's tricky. Like Colleen Hoover's opening pages are showing me and reminding me. It's hard to have a protagonist with whom we cannot relate or empathize. And I'm not saying that that is impossible with this protagonist, but this protagonist is clearly expressing the desire to not be empathetic, the desire to be hard as concrete. Which is something most readers, most people do not aspire to be. I'm sure there's some, I'm not going to deny that, but it's curious that that's the approach here because it's hard for most readers to connect to that kind of goal. I'm already feeling kind of turned off by this writer, this protagonist where it's like, oh, okay, no, I think it's kind of important to care, but I'm not going to, all right. So I'm, I admit, I'm, I'm not really jolling with this one, but let's keep going. I mean, again, I could understand this need to have to be able to separate oneself from the terrors around you. I think there's definitely situations where you have to be able to shut yourself down in essence, in order to survive. That's completely understandable but I don't see this particular situation being that kind of environment, which is, I guess, why it's so confusing. It's one thing if you're in a setting, a land of, of deep conflict and horrors. Yes, you would have to separate yourself to survive. But as of right now, I'm not seeing that yet. Maybe that's coming. But as of right now, this feels like a really... It it just doesn't feel like it fits. Or maybe my Midwestern mentality can't understand how it fits. Because I'm not a coastal person. I don't know. All right. But I'll keep going for a little bit here. The man gestures toward a coffee shop a few doors down. They'll have a bathroom, he says, pressing his hand against the small of my back as he leads me in that direction. I look across the street at the Pantem press building I was headed to before the accident. I was so close, 15, maybe 20 feet away from a meeting. I desperately need to be in. I wonder how close the man who just died was from his destination. The stranger holds the door open for me. When we reach the coffee shop, a a woman carrying a coffee in each hand attempts to squeeze past me through the doorway until she sees my shirt. She scurries backward to get away from me, allowing us both to enter the building. I move towards the women's restroom, but the door is locked. The man pushes open the door to the men's restroom and motions for me to follow him. He doesn't lock the door behind us as he walks to the sink and turns on the water. I look at the mirror, relieved to see it isn't as bad as I feared. There are a few splatters of blood on my cheeks that are beginning to darken and dry, and a spray above my eyebrows. But luckily, the shirt took the brunt of it. The man hands me wet paper towels and I wipe my face while he wets another handful. I can smell the blood now. The tanginess in the air sends my mind whirling back to what I was, to when I was ten. The smell of blood was strong enough to remember it all these years later. I attempt to hold my breath at the onset of more nausea. I don't want to puke, but I want this shirt off me. Now! I unbutton it with trembling fingers, then pull it off and place it under the faucet. I let the water do its job while I take the other wet napkins from the stranger and begin wiping the blood off my chest. He heads for the door, but instead of giving me privacy while I stand here in my least attractive bra, he locks us inside the bathroom so no one will walk in on me while I'm shirtless. It's disturbingly chivalrous and leaves me feeling uneasy. I'm tense as I watch him through the reflection in the mirror. Someone knocks. Be right out, he says. I relax a little, comforted by the thought that someone outside the store would hear me scream if I needed to. I focus on the sh- blood until I'm certain I've washed it all off my neck and chest. I inspect my hair next, turning left to the mirror, turning left to right in the mirror, but find only an inch of dark roots above fading caramel. Here, the man says, fingering the last button on his crisp white shirt. Put this on. He's already removed his suit jacket, which is now hanging from the doorknob. He frees himself of his button up shirt, revealing a white undershirt beneath it. He's muscular, taller than me. His shirt will swallow me. I can't wear this into my meeting, but I have no other option. I take the shirt when he hands it to me. I grab a few more dry paper towels and pat at my skin, then pull it on and begin buttoning it. It looks ridiculous. But at least it wasn't my skull that exploded on someone else's shirt. Silver lining. Okay, I gotta stop. I This protagonist is definitely getting under my skin and not, I think, in the way Colleen Hoover wanted it to. But I'm looking at the back blurb here. And maybe I should be I could maybe give this a little more slack. I mean, this, this main character is a struggling writer on the brink of financial ruin when she accepts the job offer of a lifetime. Jeremy Crawford, husband of best-selling author Verity Crawford has hired Lohan to complete the remaining books in a successful series his injured wife is unable to finish. <sighs> um, so, I mean, our main character is a writer who apparently struggles or desires to get away from humanity or empathizing with it had some sort of trauma. So the smell of blood is recalling something from the past and maybe you're intrigued, maybe you're not, but I, I'm honestly not really into this one. I don't know. I guess maybe the whole realizing that we're just going to push each other in the best-selling author realm, which, you know what, that's not fair of me to think either, though, because plenty of indie authors will support one another. I'm always excited to support fellow indie authors. Other indie authors have supported me, which has been wonderful. So I really should be giving Colleen Hoover some more, I should be cutting some more slack on that. Um, but there's something about a protagonist that doesn't want to be empathetic. That's just a, that really rubs me the wrong way as a reader. And yet I mean, I myself have done work with, you know, writing characters who are big jerks for a reason, but they're big jerks. But I think that I feel at least the difference I was going for and the difference I've seen other folks go for is there's still something about that character that makes you want to care about them or at least helps them connect with you. And maybe it's the fact that this protagonist is a struggling writer was supposed to be the way that we connect with that person. But part of what helps us see the humanity in characters and fellow human beings is how they respond in a crisis. And this character didn't really respond at all. And that just, no, I I can't get behind that. I'm not finishing this one. You might dig it. Feel free to check it out. Verity by Colleen Hoover. But I, nope. That's a big nope for me. Maybe it is time to get into that book six of that one Western series. I don't know. We'll see. Until then, read on, share on, and write on, my friends. Cheers.